Today on the Global Few podcast, I'm happy to welcome Dan O'Brien. Dan's actually been a, a partner and customer and friend for a long, long time. Dan's with a company called Fastlane, and he joined Fastlane in October of 2010 as the COO of the Americas, responsible for business operations in Canada and the US. Dan has an extensive background in training operations and services. And prior to joining Fastlane, he held the position of VP Managed Learning Services at Microtech, which is a provider of learning solutions. So happy to welcome Dan to the Global View podcast today. Pleasure to be here, Matt, and uh, looking forward to the discussion. Yeah, awesome. Glad, uh, glad you could join us today. So what I thought I'd do is I'd just kick off with the first question is really one, there may be some people out there that are not familiar with Fastlane and what you guys do. So I thought to uh, make a good opportunity for you to share a little bit of information about Fastlane and and what you guys do for a living. Fastlane is a global education service company. We support vendor authorized training. We provide learning services, professional services, content development, platform services, you name it. Anything that we built a, a set of services that are really designed around solving customer outcome problems, right? When large customers have either scaling problems or really complex learning solution problems, we can solve those for them. The company is global. We have a footprint in 40 countries, training in over 60. We work with vendors like Cisco, Microsoft, AWS, Google, and probably about 10 to 15 other major vendors. Awesome. That's great. As far as the sectors that you train, it's fairly varied, right? I mean, you deal with a lot of different organizations from different industries. Yeah, we, uh, we have projects ongoing that are in Financial, manufacturing, retail, federal, technology, global systems integrators, we're doing a lot with them. So yeah, we're, we're pretty much silo agnostic from a vertical perspective, but we do know that the different verticals have different needs and we're fully sweet, um, capable of addressing those needs when they those problems arise. Awesome. That's great. Now you've been in the in the business for a long time, the training business. You've seen a lot of change over the years, no doubt, as uh, as as things have evolved in that space. What do you see as the trends in the training business that are that are driving uh, change within the global learning environment today? It's a complicated question to answer because every customer is sort of at a different place in their digital transformation, which is the the core underlying issue that learning is solving today, right? Technology is evolving at a rapid rate. We've got a COVID's forced a remote workforce, which brought all kinds of different challenges. AI, cloud, companies that have, even the old technology companies like Cisco, right? You used to teach them how to configure a set device. Now they've opened up the programming on those devices. So people with a specific skill set in the past need a new skill set today because those guys understood technology infrastructure, right? They understood how to configure a device, right? Because there were set configurations. Now you get to program that device to do a function that you create, right? Yeah. So teaching programming skills to people that don't understand it, the advent of people moving from waterfall development to agile development, that's a complete transformation. So because of this digital transformation, the learning industry changed dramatically. And so have learners, because we now have five different generations in the workforce, right? Oh. All with different learning styles. You take all those things, then you add on to it the fact that most companies know they have a need for learning, but it's not that it's a top priority, so it doesn't typically get a lot of budget, right? And then different learning decisions are made at different places in the organization. HR is there to provide 
broad platform learning services to a global company. Whereas when you're getting closer to the fire, I guess, right, that's where the teams that really need high skilling do different things. So, so to me, I think the biggest things I would say is the changes in the industry are the rapid technology driving a digital transformation, the need for larger volumes of people to be skilled, but be skilled at different levels, which means that you got to bring in a, a learning solution that addresses learners at all levels, which is very complex. There are companies out there that only offer e-learning and a lot of companies buy those large subscriptions and expect everybody to consume them. But if you're in a high profile job trying to get the skills to launch a cloud platform, you are not going to do it in all self-paced learning, right? It is not a one size fits all. So the, the final piece of this thing is how do you then take these different learning modalities, virtual, face-to-face, -face, live virtual, self-paced, maybe mentoring, everything else, and blend all these things together for a customer so that they have the right prescriptive learning for the right at the right time. To me, that is where the industry has gone. That is the biggest challenge we have today. And I don't think most customers are yet at that point where they understand that's what they need. I think they're looking for the economical easy fix, which is bring in a platform, sign that up, and you think you solved all your needs, but it doesn't. We're doing global skilling initiatives with customers that have those platforms and it's not addressing their needs, right? It's a component. The problem is it's a disparate system. So how do you tie those things together so that that customer and today's need is gets the reporting they need to understand where a learner in their organization is at. And that is probably one of the most critical things today is the data side. So complex world needs a complex solution today versus that simple solution. And for learning companies like me, you have to be ever evolving to be able to address those different learning needs so you can go into that customer and solve that specific problem with the right solution versus force-fitting a solution to them. So I don't know if that answers your question, but that's where I see the industry at. It's very, it's a complex problem with a rapid changing technology with a need to bring a multimodal learning approach to it. That's, no, that's great. That's a great question, a great answer. Uh, so as far as technologies go to help address some of those, I mean, could you, could you touch on maybe one or two key things from a technology platform perspective that you think are important to be able to, to meet that need and, and to be able to address the, the varied and broad needs of the learners within these organizations? Yeah, I think a platform uh, needs to be something that is brandable. It needs to be flexible in that it's going to create learning paths for the specific user. So based on that user's profile and what learning they need to take, they get served up the content that they need to see versus a whole breadth of content. You got to get them focused on the areas they need to, to do that. The platforms that we need to, that we're looking at today, you need single sign-on. You need to be able to integrate it into the customer's system, right? Those people, uh, those customers may have LMSs of their own. So you need to integrate what you're bringing to the table, that platform. So it's a single sign-on experience for the student. Detailed reporting, social is actually a big aspect of platforms today. If you can bring a social component where they can get peer-to-peer -peer experiences going on, where they can get peer-to-mentor experiences going on within the platform, that is critical. A lot of the platforms out there, I would say, especially a lot of traditional LMSs, they're really built around managing the learner experience from a corporate perspective. With what we're doing, we're 
managing it more from a learner outcome expect, perspective, but still providing the things the corporation needs, but it's designed more around that learner experience versus the corporate's needs to manage and control the learning. You can build those two things in. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, you've actually touched on a couple of things that I, I wanted to talk a little bit about today. And one of those was, you know, you talk about um, the different ages, generations of people that are doing are, are learning now. One of the things that we've seen with COVID has been decimation really of in-person learning, right? In terms of classroom-based learning, very little of that's been taking place, you know, almost anywhere in the world. But for older generations who are used to that type of, of learning, that presents maybe a challenge. Do you see that? Or do you, do you think that th- those older generations are really embracing and adapting to, you know, online learning and, and virtual instructor-led and those types of things? Yeah, I think we're all adaptable. When I got here 10 years ago, one of the first things I did, it was actually something I started when I was at the the prior company, Microtech, was figuring out how to launch a business model that allowed for a virtual classroom experience for corporations. So when I got here, I had to implement that for what I was delivering from a learning perspective. So we were one of, I think, the first to jump into not just pure virtual, but more of a hybrid learning model where you were mixing classroom and virtual. But over probably the first five years, in fact, the first couple of years, we would have 80% of the students in a class be in the classroom and 20% be online, right? Without any market push, we saw that completely invert on its own where those classroom students went online. Hmm. We wanted with 80% online, 20% in the classroom, right? And then it got to the point where we were renting facilities because I don't want to be in a brick and mortar company. That's a lot of expense these days. We were renting facilities. We would get a few students showing up in the facility because they still wanted that. And we'd have everybody else online. We would fly the instructor in. And after a day of being in there and seeing the experience online and participating in that multimodal, that flexible classroom style, those students would not return to the classroom. They would join the class online and I would have pay for a facility, pay for an instructor. So, and those were people of all generations. So I think, I think the virtual live instructor-led training appeals to anyone. It's just how you deliver it, right? You have to have engaging instructors. You have to break it up. You have to break it up with hands-on, a lot of Q&A to keep people engaged because otherwise they're going to tune you out. They're going to do the job on the back end. But I think that's also part of the appetite behind it is that people don't get the dedicated time anymore to do dedicated learning. Right. They are all supposed to do their job while they're doing it. And a virtual classroom environment actually allows for that. It doesn't help the learning experience a lot. Um, they get out of it what they need, but they're able to multitask because their company won't allow them to take five dedicated days and shut down anymore. So that transition happened, I think, naturally in the market, but it happened even with a hybrid mix, because we wanted to address both. But then what we're seeing now is, I'm not a big fan of self-paced learning myself, but I'm doing more of it. I find myself doing a lot more, like going to YouTube and looking at videos about business stuff and and just consuming more in a self-paced manner than just pure reading, like I used to do. What we're seeing now in projects and programs that we're delivering, and I'll give you an example of one. We're doing one for Canada for... Uh, Microsoft in Canada, it is an AI initiative across the Canadian market. Microsoft, AI is going to drive 50% of all workloads in the cloud in the next five years, right? 
it is in the hundreds of billions of dollars of opportunity in the market over the next few years. But they need the customers need to start that journey somehow. So Microsoft came to us and said, we want to put together a program. We want to make it Canada-wide. How do we do this? So having a pure ILT model, even if it's virtual, wasn't going to address the scale they were looking for. So we put together a solution that was platform-based. It had self-paced learning, right? People can start their journey on self-paced. It had a mixture of assessment, a mixture of what we called test prep sessions, which were live instructor-led, where they were shorter in duration. It had the ability for mentoring. It had test vouchers, everything else, right? We rolled that out. We had 3,600 people in Canada go through it in six months. We've then adjusted it this year because they started at more advanced level and we missed the foundation. So this year we adjusted it. And in the last two months, we've had almost 3,000 people register for one day face-to-face instructor-led sessions, right? We're getting 300 people per session. So we have one person teaching, two people managing chat, but it's all live interaction, right? And we're seeing that there's a huge need for this. And when we look at the profile of the people going through these programs, they are every generation. So we're seeing that if you put the right program together with all the right tools and it follows a logical flow and it's got all the support, people can learn from any generational perspective. Do people have preferences? They do, but based on what's available to them and the time they have, this again, multimodal approach really works with that generational gap. So today, although we have five different generations, my learning style, I probably still prefer to sit in a classroom, but I know when I go to conferences, that's what it's for for me. But what do I find myself doing? I'm listening. And what am I doing while I'm listening? I'm working, right? Nobody, if you look around those conferences, everybody is multitasking. So you have to offer content now in multiple ways to address that learner's ability to focus and the time they have to deliver the training and, and absorb the training. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and, and, and something you touched on too, those mentoring tools and social tools that, you, that you, you touched on earlier, those are really key, I think, for online learning and for people that are sort of learning at their own pace because you, know, you do have to check in from time to time, especially if you're doing highly technical training. There may be things that you have questions on that you can't get from the content, so you need to be able to reach out to somebody and get answers to those. So that's definitely important for sure. Yeah, we, we, we bring in like additional challenge labs. So these are advanced labs. They can be done self-paced, but these advanced labs really take what they've learned and they do labs during those exercises, but then they can take it to the next level, right? Yeah. And they can actually run through these labs and then go back and apply what they've done in those advanced labs right in their, in their production environment. So it's the right tools, again, labs, mentoring, coaching, the right type of learning. It just at the right point in time addresses the need. Interesting. Okay, that's great. So one of the questions I wanted to ask is about, you know, you touched on this earlier as well. So subscription learning platforms, you know, so organizations like you know, Pluralsight and Coursera and, you know, LinkedIn learning and things like this. How do you think traditional training companies need to adjust to be able to, you know, win deals when with those types of platforms out there? Or do you think they need to do anything? Or do you think it's a completely different type of learning altogether and that there's room really for, for both in the market? Um, I do believe there's room for both in the market, but I've been trying to get with LinkedIn Learning to get an integration into their tools. Um, we've got an integration into Coursera. It's not quite right where we want it yet because there is a need for that content. But what we want to pull out of it is not the entire library of content, right? 
again, the customer already has that, but how do we leverage that library they've got, right? To put together again, that very prescriptive plan where those specific nuggets are needed to be built into a very structured learning plan, right? right. Um, so that student, they can come in and they can go, great. I do this, you know, 25 minute plural site module. And then I'm going to do this one day session that's virtual instructor led. Then I'm going to have this mentoring session. Then I'm going to join a, a chat group session where we're going to talk about this stuff. Then I'm going to go to another module, right? So I think there's a place for it. I think there is a place for learning companies like us. We've got our own platform. We have more of the vendor authorized content, but we need a, a mix more of that generic content because a lot of that content on those sites most of it is foundational. It doesn't get into really advanced technologies, right? How do we pull that in? There is a need and there is a need for both together, but I don't think you're going to find somebody that will ever address all needs because I do believe there is a place for the portal sites and the course areas and the LinkedIn learnings. I think there's a place for pure learning companies. And I think there's a place for somebody like me that's in the middle where we come in and do these large projects because we tend to be project-based. Um, and we skill thousands of people and help transform. And then hopefully they keep us around afterwards because we can bring all these other components to the table. Yeah, that's, yeah. that's, that's interesting. Yeah. That's, I mean, that's a key that I think that we're seeing as well. The, you know, the ability for platforms to be able to integrate with, uh, you know, several other uh, sites to, to pull in content into learning paths and things, things of that nature. So you may have, you know, vendor authorized content, you may have proprietary content, you may have, you know, subscription-based content, all living in the same learning path. And it really, I think at the end of the day is better for the students because the students are uh, getting access to the best content available, regardless of where it's coming from, which I think is really important as well. I think it's good. It just, the challenge is, when you just turn on a platform and you don't build it based on what the student needs, do they, do they themselves honestly know what they need, right? Or do you need to help direct that because you're trying, you know, from a business perspective, we're trying to accomplish this. So we need to lay out the breadcrumbs to get them there. Otherwise, they may go out and look at a, what's of interest to them but not what really applies to the job we need them to do, right? Which is why role-based um, education is so important now. And a lot of the vendors, especially the cloud vendors, do a really good job of that, of building their courses and their education built around a job role, right? Yeah. Uh, we've got too much content may not be a good thing. Too structured may not be a good thing either. I think you want to find a blend where this is what we need you to learn. Oh, and by the way, here's an access to a bunch of other stuff if you want to go learn some other things. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So with with the, the adjustments to COVID that have happened over the last you know several months now, you know, well, first question on that, do you think that instructor-led training will return You know, when this is done in anywhere close to the same numbers? Or do you think the the shift, uh, and as you said, the shift has already had already been happening towards virtual instructor-led. But you know, culturally, there's some places where they favor in-person learning and things of that nature. Do you think that we'll see a return to instructor-led learning in the classroom when this is all over, or do you think that uh, only a fraction will come back and the rest will remain virtual? Um, it'll come back. Uh, we're already getting asked about doing some of that stuff. Well, I, what I think right now is we're going to get probably a surge when it comes back, when people can go back to the classroom, because 
I've been locked in my house for nine months and I think a lot of other people <laughs> have as well, right? Yeah, yeah. So just getting that people interaction and getting away again will be attractive for a period of time. So I think we're going to see an uptick, but then what we're going to see is we're 5% virtual in Europe for our business. And that was 70 plus, almost 80% here. We switched in a day to go virtual. And what they're seeing is a surprising uptick, right? Of people going, hey, why haven't we been doing this all along, right? So I don't think it's going to go back to being 5% in Europe. I think it's going to go back to being maybe 50% instructor-led, mm -hmm. right? And 50% virtual. I think that's there to stay. And I think we're going to see that everywhere. But we will see pure face-to-face -face definitely come back. It's just not going to be at the same volume it used to be. What do you think the, the biggest thing that you've done to weather the COVID storm was? Is there any one thing that sort of had the most impact on being, you know, allowing you to, you know, shift and, and continue to operate business as usual, as, as usual as you can in the situation that we're in? Any one thing you can point to? Because we were so virtual when we had to go remote 100%, again, the only training center I have is in my corporate office here in North Carolina. We didn't own facilities elsewhere. So not a brick and mortar business. I rented as we went. And unfortunately, companies that were in that space didn't survive because that's all they did. Switching to virtual quickly was easy. I just think it's more of the, the high touch service piece that we're bringing, the flexibility and the creative creativity that we bring helped us weather the storm. I think that my leadership team and I and the transparency we brought to the business with our, our teams on where the business is at, where it's going, even in working with the vendors and making them understand the impacts of what they're doing on their own uh, learning market, right? So it's, it was a multiple of things that probably helped us, but I think the biggest thing was going virtual. Second thing was the flexibility and creativity. Then our vendors working with us on the cost side, was at least the, the cloud providers, a lot of the other um, ones didn't do that step where they helped reduce the cost of learning, make it more attractive for the end customer and for us to be able to continue to deliver. So those ones that did, we saw growth in those vendor lines. For the ones that didn't, we all saw a decline hmm. because customers weren't going to pay $4,000 for a class, right? And we still had to pay those really high costs to deliver those class, even if it was virtual. Whereas the cloud providers, they came in and said, um, we're going to remove your courseware fees. We're trying, we need to get people skilled and we don't, we know customers don't have the money to skill right now. So we're going to reduce these costs so you guys can bring the pricing down to the customers, which we did. We yeah. all did. And we saw an uptick in business because of it. So, so I think it's a multiple things. Um, again, I would like to say that from um, my leadership team's perspective, helping the company, keeping everybody like I said, fully informed, working with them through the strategies so that the company understood where we're at at all times, right? And keeping that morale level up has helped us weather the storm of COVID. And it's not over yet because we still have probably about another six months to go on this thing. We'll see some light. I see some light at the end of the tunnel. Yeah. But it's still a long time. Yeah, no, absolutely. 100%. You know, one of the things that a lot of people probably don't know about you that may even uh, have known you for a long time is that you spent a, a significant uh, career before you got into this career, you had a career in the Canadian Armed Forces. 
And uh, I was curious if there were skills or anything that you brought over from your time in the armed forces to uh, that helped you kind of shift into the the private sector and in, in in such senior leadership roles. I served twenty years reserve time, and of that, I did nine years full time. Being uh, infantry um, and most branches of of the military, but us infantry guys think we're special. What do you do? You train or you deploy, right? So. I, I went on my first instructional techniques course when I was 19 years old. I taught my first courses that same year. I ran, um, in my career in the military, I ran training at all level, officer training, um, tactical training, weapons training, um, you name it. I taught it all, right? I went on um, multiple, somebody at some point said, hey, this guy's good at this. And they kept sending me on courses. So I got all of the instructional courses and advanced instructional course, I got all that fun stuff. And then I got to spend uh, my last three years before I got out full-time and went back to being reserve. I was at the uh, army uh, reserve headquarters in Ottawa for the, the um, 32 brigade. Um, and um, I ran training for the brigade. So I was responsible for all manning, all training, creating programs for a brigade. And the brigade is typically 5,000 troops, right? So, yeah. but I also was working with our regular force counterparts and did a bunch of things on that side. So, so the military taught me everything about this industry. My third career was I studied fisheries and wildlife and I wanted to do environmental work. That's what my passion was when I was a kid. And then at some point in time, I realized that what my passion was and what I was really good at were two different things. And that was the operational planning and execution of training and programs is what apparently I was really good at. And so transferring from the military to the private sector was easy for me because I walked right into a job where I was doing scheduling and planning and instructor management and all the things I had just done for you know almost 20 years. You're either on a course, you're teaching a course, or you're deployed. Yeah. <laughs> um, and it teaches you a culture of learning and it teaches you to adapt I've taught courses in the military where you have no materials, right? And so instead of having usually the same training materials and aids, you have to figure out inventive ways to teach troops how to do things um, that they would they should be doing with the right tools, but those tools are off on deployment, right? Yeah. So, so uh, yeah, I think ingenuity, understanding, learning, planning, the ultimate flexibility, because that's what the military teaches you, right? Yeah. Yeah go really, really fast, go really, really hard, and then you don't, <laughs> right? So, so it sounds like a perfect fit. It, it, well, I thought it was, uh, then you have to kind of adjust approach to the private sector because um, in the military world, you just, when you're teaching, there's a difference between here, people are usually in a course because they want to be there, right? Yeah. In the military, you're in a course because somebody told you you needed to go there, right? Um, and in that world, you have more control over those people's lives than you do here, right? So you just have to sh shift that piece and make sure you're approaching learning from, again, how, the outcome for the customer versus you go do this, right? Right. Absolutely. Okay. Well, the last question I have uh, business related is uh, as far as opportunities and training go, 
uh, and, and you may have touched on this actually with the answer to the first or the second question I asked, but, you know, do you see, what are the, some of the key opportunities you see in the space over the next, uh, you know, three to five years? Um, well, so first I see a, a consolidation in the space over the next three to five years. We're already seeing that with Skillsoft and Global Knowledge, and we just saw the acquisition of Pluralsight, right? Um, so, um, and there's going to be more of that, right? Um, there's going to be a lot of smaller companies that are, that may not make the transition, right? Kind of like the blockbuster thing. They're still sort of focused in their own world. And they're not, they don't have the resources to invest, right? So uh, I think the biggest shift is going to be customers trying to, to um, narrow down their, their learning partners that they work with focus. We're seeing that already. Um, and they're looking for more service. They're looking for more high touch. They're looking for intangibles above price. Hmm. Uh, and so the companies that are doing that, that are creating unique services that support learning, but are not just classic bums and seat training, coming up new ways to divvy up training and do that sort of thing. I think those will be successful companies going forward. And I think that's where we're going to see the market go over the next three to five years. I think we'll see self-paced become continue to evolve, but I don't think it's going to be everything. I mean, IDC back in 2001 projected um, the e-learning space to take over the market in 2005. And every time they present that slide, the same thing <laughs> pushed out, right? Yeah. It's the first time where we're seeing that pickup starting to, to pass the standard training line. So I do think we're starting to see the market evolve. I still think five years from now, um, my business will be still be learning focused. It's going to be learning solutions focused. It might be more platform and tech focused versus the standard classroom piece, but there will still be a need for really knowledgeable subject matter experts that can help impart knowledge to a student in a real way. It just depends. Is it going to be this way, right? one-on-one -on -one mentoring sessions? Is it going to be? Um, so, so I think we're going to see it evolve, but it's not going to, if I go back and look at myself five years from now, I would say that, you know, probably about 80% of what we do today, I think would still be relevant. Hmm. Interesting. Well, that's great insight. Thanks, Dan, for that. Before we wrap up here, I thought what I would do is maybe go through some fun questions here with you. I call it, I'm going to call it the lightning round. Sure. And uh, these are just ways to, you know, help the audience get to know, you know, Dan O'Brien a little bit. So nothing business related here. And if, uh, hope I don't stump you on any of these. <laughs> you know, people probably may not know that you, uh, you live in, you know, Raleigh, the Raleigh-Durham area, even though you're from Canada originally. So my first question was, you know, your favorite restaurant in Raleigh-Durham. Oh, good question. So I guess my favorite restaurant here would be um, a place called Cilantro, which is um, this incredible Indian restaurant, which is for the South, you'd be surprised. If I want sort of a mix of the Southern cuisine is a place called Lucky 32, which has a great mix of that. So it's going to vary based on what I want. But if my wife and I have a, a choice, we will go for cilantro every day. It is cilantro. incredible. Yeah. Awesome. Come down the next time. If you like Indian, I'll take you there. Yeah, when, I, when we, tra we can travel again, I'll definitely have to do that. Favorite city to visit in the world, anywhere in the world? Rome, Ottawa. Rome and Ottawa. Oh, two very different cities, but Ottawa, yeah. I'm assuming because it's home. And 
Ottawa because it's home and I just love Ottawa. I think it's, it's got anything anybody would want. Um, Rome because of the history. London, top of the list um, because um, I've spent a lot of time. I lived in Europe for two years and I lived in just outside of London. And it, I think it's just a magnificent city. Um, but yeah, if I had to go three places, those are the three cities I go to. From a country okay. perspective, it's Costa Rica. Oh, okay. Yeah. Interesting. Okay. Uh, favorite music genre? Uh, I'm, I, I like everything, but um, I would have to say classic rock. Classic and rock. Probably um, late 70s through 90s. Okay. Do you have a favorite band from that time frame? Well, my favorite band is actually the Tragically Hip. Okay. Uh, because... Um, they started in Kingston, Ontario, where I went to high school. Yeah. Um, I, used, I went to the bands and saw them starting as a party with uh, the band a bit um, when they were um, back in their early days when they were nobodies. <laughs> um, so, yeah, they're one of my favorite bands and they're kind of a bluesy rock band, right? Um, yeah. So uh, I put the hip um, as one of my favorite bands and then probably... Um, and I have a mix of other ones, but let's just say the hip. Yeah, you can just pick one. You guys don't know who the hip is. <laughs> well, they can look it up. I think I know the answer to this one already, but favorite sports team? Ottawa Senators, although I'm uh, not a happy fan lately. Um, yeah. So, but because I live in North Carolina, I have my home and away team. So I have Ottawa Senators and the Carolina Hurricanes. Yeah, Carolina Hurricanes have been fun to watch the last few years. So that's it's uh, nice definitely winning a lot more. <laughs> Yes, winning a lot more and maybe some better management. <laughs> exactly. All right, Dan. Well, that's all I have for you. I really, uh, really appreciate your taking the time to join the uh, the podcast today and excited for uh, seeing what's ahead for Fastlane and for yourself in the new year. And um, with that, I'll wish you all the best. Thank you, Matt. Appreciate it. Take care. Okay. Thank you.